Today's BS episode on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Whether you do business in Beantown or the city of brotherly love, you need talent to win. No one understands that better than ZipRecruiter, our 2018 presenting sponsor. Let them help you find talent. Their powerful technology identifies and matches candidates with the right experience, then invites them to apply to your job. Five-time champ Bill Belichick might not need help finding talent, but I can think of multiple NFL teams that might. ZipRecruiter scouts talent for you. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, fans like you love Bovada, especially during the biggest gambling week of the year from the opening coin flip prop to halftime show props like Nipplegate mentions. It's an actual prop. To presidential tweets, there are over 1,000 props for the big game over at Bovada. Add excitement to your game. Just go to bovada.lv, B-O-V-A-D-A dot L-V. Also, we're brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. That includes the Rewatchables, where we did Goodwill Hunting last week. Uh, people love that one. People love Goodwill Hunting. People are excited to hear us talk about Goodwill Hunting. A couple things that happened in that pod that I thought were or responses to that podcast that I thought was interesting. One is that we had a whole argument about why they went to the bar in Cambridge over just staying at Southie. And a few readers pointed out, because Will Hunting was 20, and that's why they went and they knew the bouncer. The big thing that people pointed out was at the end, Chucky goes to pick up Will Hunting, and Will Hunting's not there, and he finally has this moment like, oh, he finally must have gone. He finally got out of here. But they had given Will Hunting a car at that point. So maybe the, if the car wasn't there, why was he so surprised Will Hunting wasn't there? And also, why were they going to pick up Will Hunting if he already had a car? It's a good nitpick. Wish I had thought about it. Uh, we love that movie. We have Varsity Blues coming up this week, which we taped last week in front of a live audience at Largo. So subscribe to that Rewatchables podcast. Ringer NFL show this week. Clark and Mays on Tuesday. GM Street on Wednesday. Clark and Mays on Thursday. GM Street on Friday with the big Super Bowl preview. And then on Sunday night, Tate, you and Lombardi. You're yep. watching the game together. You yep. do some social. And then eventually the post game pod. The last one. Fresh out of the oven. Yes. Right after the game. Yes. The final rapid reaction. That's only if uh, Lombardi doesn't <laughs> yeah, have a heart we'll attack. See if during, he survives. <laughs> if he survives meat eat a day, which we're going to talk about with Cousin Sal in a little bit. But check that out. Uh, coming up, we have the Cuz and I are going to talk about this weekend's gambling escapades, the Royal Rumble. And uh, our big Super Bowl props podcast that we're actually not doing on this feed. We're going to explain that in a second. And then also, one of my favorite actors, J.K. Simmons, finally in studio. That's all coming up. But first, Pearl Jam. Welcome to the BS Podcast. Sal coming up in a second. I want to tell a story about something that happened on Saturday night. So my daughter has this scrimmage in at San Marino High School, which is right next to Pasadena. And one of the girls on the team had a birthday party after that was going to be held at the, the Pitfire Artisan Pizza, which is this place in Pasadena. 
I have lived in LA for 15 years and I think I've been to Pasadena maybe 10 times in my life. So we have the scrimmage. Then we go to this pizza place at, I'm going to say like 8.30. And we walk in and, there, and there's all these people watching a TV. And I realize it's the Celtics-Warriors game, which I had been, been uh, taping and, eventually, and intentionally avoiding my phone so I could watch the game and not know who won. So, of course, there's 20 seconds left. And I have to watch the end of the game. And there's this whole bunch of people. It looks like they're having a party. And a couple of them recognize me and like, hey. And I'm like, what happened? Talking to them about the game. And then uh, the Celtics lose. Go to the bar with my wife and a couple of the parents. All of our kids are on the side. And I could feel this group kind of looking at me weird. And I, you know, I'm used to being out in public and seeing people kind of look at me, but this felt a little different. I didn't really know what was going on and I'm hanging out. I'm having a drink. And eventually this, uh, this really pretty lady, probably in her late twenties comes up to me with an older lady who seems like a mom and they're really sad. And they basically said they were there because they were having a wake for this guy who had, had died two years before or two days before who was the wife of the younger lady and the, the son of the older lady. So I, I don't know how to react, and, I, and I'm basically saying, oh, you know, I'm so sorry, um, and, and I don't really know where this is going. And they basically said that he had, he had been fighting leukemia for the past, I don't know, two years, and in the hospital bed trying to find all these treatments, he had started listening to my podcast like 15 months ago. And he, I thought it was funny, he was listening to it at 2.0 speed, which I don't understand how people do. And they used to call me Bill 2.0 because he would speed up the podcast. But he, would, he was basically ripping through the podcast library and listening to all of them and getting his, his friends and family and, you know, listen to the pod as he was deteriorating and it it had become kind of a running joke with, with his family and his friends that he had the podcast on. And they were saying that it really helped him, you know, kind of deal with, um, obviously everything that was going on with him. What, what was bizarre was that when I showed up at this place, they thought it had been arranged by the mom or, or somebody that was at the place. And meanwhile, I was just randomly there. And the odds of me being there, I tried to figure it out after. I think the odds were, I don't know. Tate, what are the odds if I've been in Pasadena 10 times in my life? <laughs> yeah. And I go to, there's probably 150 restaurants in Pasadena. I would have to go at the exact time that they were there. Yeah, I mean. Uh, one in a million and they were like convinced that the 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 guy had like arranged it so i don't know i i, I don't know whether i believe in that stuff but his first name was Puvin. his last name was deedwania i think i said the last name correctly 
Anyway, I wanted to, uh, I gave my condolences that night, but wanted to give my condolences again. To, and I hope, I hope I said the names correctly. I, I actually talked to um, his wife by email, and I probably should have asked. But I think I got it right. It's P-A-W-A-N. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Things work in mysterious ways sometimes. I have no idea why, <laughs> why I ended up walking into that place that night, but. They seem to think it helped a little bit, so that was cool. But uh, wanted to wanted to give my condolences to the whole family, and I wish you could have heard this one. Coming up, we have Cousin Sal and J.K. Simmons. We're going to call Sal right now. I'll call him, sir. On the line, because here's why. Here's why Sal's on the line this week because I'm going on his podcast to do our annual Super Bowl props extravaganza, which we have always done on this podcast. But now, in a cross-promotion that rivals when the ER doctors went on Friends in 1994, (laughs) we are going to do that on your Against All Odds podcast this week. It's going to run on Wednesday. America does not want to miss this. This is the crazy... This is when you turn into Russell Crowe and Beautiful Mind cross with Will Hunting and Good Will Hunting. (laughs) I'm so excited for you. I'm excited for America. Uh, 48 hours away. How are you feeling? A lot of toilet time between between now and then. But yeah, it used to be like 150 props, which is a lot. Now it's like 440 props. Bovada has and and, and the Las Vegas Sportsbook uh, has it. Like it, it's crazy. It's like it's like they gave medallions to everyone, and there's uh, twenty thousand cabs in New York City all of a sudden. <laughs> Nuts. Uh, I I I feel like I have a pretty good handle on how this game's going to go, so I'm actually probably going to bet some props. Really? Yeah, without okay. giving away I'm, too I'm, much. I'm the other way. I really, I usually have a handle, or at least I know which way I'm going to go, and I and I don't. I'm right down the middle, and and I think I'm struggling because of it. The one that jumped out, which is barely a prop because it's been there forever, but the MVP odds, Brady is minus one ten. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine he's not the MVP if the Patriots win this game. I'm sure there's a scenario where he's not, but like, let's say the Jaguars Pats game was the Super Bowl. Right. Who would have won the MVP of that game? Would you have given it to Brady or Danny Amendola? I think Brady. I think that's one of those things where he brought him all the way back. And they just as long as you can't give it to Belichick, Brady kind of has to get it. Now, I know you guys won the Super Bowl where he didn't win. But right. um, those, those days are over, I think. Right. Now that, that, but that proves my case. Danny had one of the great quarters in the history of the Patriots. <laughs> he did everything in the fourth quarter. They're down 10 makes five or six the game ends if he doesn't make the catch kind of catches and Brady would have been the MVP anyway which is why I think Brady at minus 110 what's the line for the the money line for the Pats it's probably like minus 200 right now something like that yeah it's minus 200 could I just say um I know you don't read the Twitter comments but people are furious that you're calling him Danny just out of the blue just starting with Danny it's like, what, what it's do you mean? Like, what, That's his name. I don't know. They're just like all of a sudden you're best friends with them. It's like, all right, Danny helped us out. If Danny doesn't make that catch on third and 18, we're screwed. It's like, people get annoyed. It's like they get annoyed Phil by that. Phil. <laughs> yeah, all the golfers, like calling them by their first name. But it's a, it, it extra smarts when you do it, I think. But I, I like it. I like it. Keep it up. <laughs> first of all, all the Pats fans call him Danny. We don't call him Amendola. <laughs> And he's been on the team for long enough that he's we're on a first name basis with him. I'm not going to apologize well, to America. 
Why is he Danny and Brady's Brady and uh, and uh, you know Gilmore's not Stefan and all the? I don't understand he just, why he's he, special. He feels like a Danny. He's frisky. He's doing frisky stuff. Speaking of uh, feedback from the listeners, I I have a couple emails to read to you. After last week, we Tony Romo called in, right? And uh, and 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 people people had some thoughts. I Uh Isaac and Phoenix kind of sums up the general perception. Just got listening to the gush fest you and Sal had with Tony Romo, (laughs) and I kept picturing you and Sal turning your hats around like Tony. And elbowing each other out of the way to decide who gets the next question, you went full <laughs> Costanza. Well, uh, well, I, we were sharing a mic, so it was it was exactly yeah, we, as we, he we, uh, we, portrayed we, it. Uh, <laughs> Alex, the mic to one side. People yeah. were people were horrified as far away as Zurich, Switzerland, where Alex writes in. I wanted to take this opportunity to express my appreciation of the sheer professionalism exhibited by Mr. Tate Frazier during the podcast oh. where Tony Romo called in. I've never personally been involved in personally in producing a podcast. I don't think that professional experience is necessary to realize how difficult it would have been not just to produce, but to contend with the raging boner that cousin Sal was popping during that uh. entire segment to have been able to keep that podcast running smoothly while somehow blocking out the agonized screams from Sal's meundies <laughs> during their excruciating <laughs> final moments. Uh, I don't like that. I don't like was that. Was pushed at all beyond the breaking point. That, so. Tate's yeah. professionalism is really something special, as is Bosch. You'd be very proud. I agree, Alex. I, I we, he was very professional. Uh, Sal and I probably weren't, but this one was my favorite from Sully in Cedar Rapids, <laughs> Iowa. Tony Romo made over roughly two hundred million dollars in his career. I don't think he made that much. Uh, right. Why in this advanced digital age did it sound like he called in to talk to you guys on a styrofoam cup with a piece of red yarn hanging out of the bottom? Did he hang up so he could continue giving mortar shell coordinates? Uh, I I don't know. Why did he have a better phone? Hasn't he made like? He was on the. He was he was driving. He drives like a lunatic. He probably wasn't even paying attention to the road. And uh, there's some uh, in the Dallas area. There's some (laughs) dead spots. What do you want me to say? I don't know. This is why you know people weren't able to hear him in the huddle. And this is this is part of the problem. I understand. Do you think he has a flip phone from 2006? Jerry didn't let him. Uh, well, listen, you know, I know it's a big joke. Brady destroyed his phone. So oh! I don't know if it's a cell phone, oh! phone joke coming in there. Tom, oh. I'm sorry, Tom destroyed his phone. But, I, I was no. driving into work today, and I, yeah. I always try to listen to the first segment of Colin Coward's show if I'm driving yeah. in, like, right around 9. Started yeah. out with the rarely seen Brady was asking for it defense because they, they – the radio host in Boston, the idiot guy uh, yeah. who, who called uh, Brady's daughter a, a little pissant or whatever he said, annoying, right. annoying pissant. Brady got so mad, he went on his weekly radio show today on WEI yeah. and basically said, I, I don't, I got to reevaluate whether I want to appear on this station anymore and said he didn't have much to say and he, and he hung up. And, right. uh, yeah, this, this, hold on. This answers everyone, every email it was question today. Like, why, hey, why aren't you going after Romo? Why aren't you? It's like, yeah, then you never get an interview again. <laughs> what, this is what happens. Right. <laughs> we should make fun of his sons and his, and his wife and everything wow. else. Kid, right. Kids are off limits. And I say that as uh, we're about 10 minutes away from making fun of our kids on Parent Corner. But <laughs> right. uh, the, uh, the, the whole Brady getting mad thing, Coward was basically like, look, you let people behind the velvet rope. 
you 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 were very private for months and months and years and years and now you have this Facebook show and you're showing people what your kids look like and this is what happens. It's like wow, okay, there's, interesting there's defense. There's something to that. There's, there's something, there's to, something to it. I guess he's not a he's not a Kardashian, but five years ago you would have been very surprised that he had his own Facebook show or something like this, right? Yeah, I probably wouldn't have timed it for the week before the Super Bowl. Yeah, right. I don't. I I would like to think that if you're going to show your kids, you you're basically banking on America, maybe uh, maybe treating that with somewhat respect. I don't know. Right. But um, yeah, I would have. I wish this had come out in March. It's an infomercial. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. It's Tom versus time. He's we're not going to really learn anything, and he's just going to, you know. Make it seem like, look, here's I'm my family. You. I'm great. Like Jimmy would never do Jimmy versus Time or something like that, and just <laughs> behind the scenes documentary and show his family. No, I don't, I don't think so. He was, you know, he was he, he brought his son out to demonstrate, you know, the healthcare thing, and like he got he had endless shit for that by some uh, some right wingers. But you know, it, it was that was at least necessary, you know, and then and just even even in the necessary times, um, you're going to get criticism. Well, that led to the most exciting moment in the history of the show, which was when he then handed his child to Guillermo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> on live TV. I've never been more frightened ever on ABC, including every episode of Lost. I was never as, <laughs> as frightened as it was that. The other thing Coward talked about was he got in. Guillermo, into- by the way, sorry, Guillermo takes like two or three tequila shots in the green room before every, every show. <laughs> was walking backwards, walking backwards to the doors with Jimmy's son. <laughs> Yeah, it was a good move. The other thing Coward was talking about was he had inside information that this LeBron Lakers thing is serious, which I went on his show last summer and told him that the LeBron (laughs) Lakers thing was serious. But I do wonder if we have to start thinking about Lakers next year. I wonder if Bavada has that. The 2019 title odds, because I really do think he's going there. I wouldn't bet my life on it, but I think think it's conceivable. Are you as confident as you were last July in, in this? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if the LeVar Ball. I think they were hoping Lonzo would be better. Yeah, right? but they, than, but they could always, they could always trade him. I'm actually more confident because I think this Cavaliers thing, the entire season has been such a shit show. Before, since this Lakers start, this Lakers story basically started in June. I think that was when yeah. Jalen started talking about it, and the Ringer started writing it, and it kind of right. snowballed. Since then, Kyrie got traded. Mm-hmm. Their season has really gone to crap. And then on top of it, the owner announced he's going to sell. And we found out LeBron now owns two houses of a combined $44 million in Los Angeles. Wow. I mean, yeah. that's, a, lot. that's I, I a lot think, of signs, yeah, I right? I think he's leaving Cleveland for sure. I just don't know that LA is the destination. Tate. All those signs. What do you think? Uh, I got the odds right now. I pulled up. Lakers is plus 400. Rockets plus 250. Cavs plus 200. Lakers are plus 400 for next year. For next year. No, no. That's for just where he signs, right? Yeah, for where he's 2018, 2019. What, what team for will For where LeBron? he signs? It's yeah. plus 400? Plus 400. Oh, no, Sal. You Should, love that, huh? I think we might have to step in. I think we still haven't made back the money we from nine years ago when we said he's going to the Bulls. <laughs> I forgot about that. I know we bet on that. Oh, one of our greatest uh, greatest losses that we've had. Speaking of losing, yeah. I always love uh, I love when you talk yourself into Pro Bowl bets. 
This year uh, they moved the Pro Bowl. I'm pretty sure it was it always before the Super Bowl. It wasn't always, right? It was usually flip flop. Yeah, that. they flip flopped yeah, it. it so yesterday, two Sal classics that you just have no idea what you're doing in the uh, the Pro Bowl going head to head against the NHL All Star Game, and I know you wagered on both, and I'm sure you had the the golf tournament too. What'd you do yesterday? I still have Norin. Uh, he's in a playoff right now, as we speak, with Jason Day. So I don't know. I'm, I'm checking in with that, but. Uh, I had the I did have the under, but it was on a parlay with which lost. They only played one period in these NHL, you know, Atlantic versus Metro and all this stuff. So I won that. I won that, but that was on a parlay. But my big bet of the day, and I swore to God that I was going to stay away from the Pro Bowl. I love the NFC. I don't know why. I was like, I have to defend my conference. Yeah, yeah. they're up twenty to three. Sure, they're they're laying a point and a half. They're up twenty to three. And I got the, in the second half, I got Jared Goff. I got the 2016 week two version of Jared Goff for the second half. But either way, all right, so it's still 23-17 with three minutes left, fourth and five, and Sean Payton goes for it. They're up six, and he goes for it, and it wasn't even close to converting. And then Derek Carr, who couldn't, couldn't move the ball at all, of course takes his team right down the field and scores. They win 24-23. Now, I, this is the, 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 you don't need to know anything else. If, if you want, to, should there be a Pro Bowl or not? No, this is the reason there should not be. Guys, it's a one-point game, and guys are signing autographs on the side. The winner gets sixty-four thousand. The losing team players get thirty-two thousand. Like these guys have too much money. That doesn't matter. They could just get hurt. The gamblers are the only ones suffering here. Do away with the Pro Bowl, please, for the for the love of me. I think this is the 11th year we've done the podcast together, and I can't ever remember you winning on the Pro Bowl. <laughs> it's not, does anyone have the AFC? How could you win on this? It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know how anyone wins. I guess I would I think, stay away. I would think the money matters more in the Pro Bowl than it would. Like I saw in the All-Star game for the NBA, the winner gets 100000 and the loser gets twenty five. And I'm thinking like 100000 for the NBA guys. That's like... You know they won't burp for less than five hundred thousand, right? But for yeah. football, where that where you know you're a running back or a middle linebacker or something, your career might be over with one hit. I would I would yeah. imagine the sixty four thousand is kind of appealing. Yeah, you're still risking your career, so try to win the game, right? Not like the guys are getting interfered with. Jalen Ramsey's all over. I don't, I don't remember was it Thielen maybe, and they're, they're laughing at each other. No one's called. No one's getting called. It's, like I said, people signing autographs. It's it's dismal to watch. It really is. There is a great sound FX of Jalen Ramsey from the Pats game last week that ran on a Jacksonville station. And oh. it's basically three quarters of him talking shit to Chris Hogan and Gronk and everybody. And then mysteriously ends right before the comeback. Mm. I see you, wow. Jackson, Jack, random Jacksonville Channel 30, running the <laughs> Jalen Ramsey, not running the part when when the GOAT made the comeback. Uh Hey, why don't you think there's Super Bowl buzz, or do we, or does this happen every year and we just don't remember? I think we uh, something something does need to happen today at media day, like like James Harrison sixes Pitbull on a camera crew, or <laughs> mm. Belichick moons the foreign press. I don't know something something needs to happen, but yeah, it doesn't seem like there's as much. Is it is it because the Patriots are there every year? Is that is that the thing against the backup? Yeah, so. First of all, if Jacksonville was in here instead of the Patriots, I guess like Jalen Ramsey, Blake Bortles, there would be all these new people. On the other hand, Jacksonville would be in the Super Bowl. So let, let me right. ask America who they'd rather have in there just for from an entertainment right. standpoint. I would 
I would imagine the Patriots, even if you're trying to root against them. But yeah, sure. I think there's no Patriot stories left other than James Harrison. I'm trying to think who else. Gronk. Well, what what about Danny? No one's talking about Danny. Yeah, Danny, go so go get, put the crowd around Danny. And then Philly's got <laughs> Philly's got a shitload of stories. Philly can carry media day. I don't Philly's know. Philly's got two ex Patriots. That should be a big enough thing with Blount and Chris yeah. Long, and you know that should be uh, that Blunt, should be a nice way to look at it. Let me tell you something. Nobody loved being a Patriot more than Legarrette Blunt. We he did right. He loved it the most. He appreciated Belichick and Brady the most. We are, I think it's the 13th anniversary of my favorite thing that ever happened at Media Day, which is for Jimmy <laughs> yeah. Kimmel Live. Oh, no, 14th anniversary. It was 2004. 14 right, years yeah. ago today. Uh, or tomorrow, maybe. You went into yeah. the stands and pretended you were John Casey. Yeah, I was on the field. Yeah. You were the Panthers and, kicker. Um, you wore a Casey jersey. And uh-huh. all... And, it, it, you weren't you weren't swallowed up by reporters, but there were a, a few reporters. Most most of them, of course, were foreign. But right. uh, yeah. the French but, press was all over me, and I was talking about like how I'd been to strip clubs. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm only on the field, you know, two minutes out of the whole game, so yeah. I could live it up. And right. and uh, and uh, John Casey, who but but for some reason came out later than everybody else, so it didn't yeah. seem plausible that I was the real John Casey for a little bit. But he. He is a, a God-fearing uh, Christian. He was not happy when I finally went face-to-face with him, declaring that I was the real John Casey. Um, yeah, he, he did not happy with me one, one bit. He did not have a sense of humor about it. There might have been some yeah. berating, some, yeah, some, little, some kind of low-key berating. And then it all, it all swung around in the Super Bowl when the Panthers <laughs> scored and John Casey's kicking off. Sorry, Tate. <laughs> And uh, and kicks off out of bounds and gives us the ball at the forty for the field goal winning drive and it was yep. it, it was the cuz I always feel like do you know that story Tate of course yeah it's it's heartbreaking the worst kickoff I feel like I swung did I swing the game a little bit I'm sorry Tate if I had known you then but I know now I never would have done that well do, who'd you I bet on that game the Panthers or the Patriots you bet on the Panthers I had the right Patriots giving points but uh, they didn't oh, so cover, you didn't right? cover no no yeah. no yeah. Yeah, no, I think that was the worst kickoff of all time. Yeah. Like all things considered, the moment, the whole thing, like just to give us the ball at the forty when we had already gotten a game-winning field goal. Plus, they were already ce- we were already celebrating the fact that we had come back and everything. So yeah, it was like yeah, there's right. no way that this could happen. And then you get the ball at the forty. That was a really good game in the second half. It was it was one of the worst first halves ever. There was a little fireworks at the end of the first half, mm-hmm. and then Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake happened. <laughs> And yeah. everyone went crazy about that for the next couple hours. Although we didn't have Twitter back then and things like that, but it just became kind. Of, it kind of swallowed up the the second half. And meanwhile, the second half was like in the stadium. We didn't know that Janet Jackson thing had happened. That get yeah, that, right. that it was like super exciting. And, then, and Musin Muhammad had the ADR touchdown, and mm-hmm. Brady threw the pick that seemed like it was going to screw the. That was still probably the worst pass of his career. But that was a really fun game. Well, to, to, now that you think back at it, the Patriots Super Bowls, almost all the first halves weren't good, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, uh, everything was the big giant comebacks in the last, in the two that they won. And the Eagles only made that exciting in the second half the first time. And like you said, the Panthers, and obviously last year, uh, the big comeback. There's yeah, been a lot of know. good last five minutes of the second quarter 
is usually kind of fun with Patriots games well, for some reason. Even the Seattle well, I game. The craziest stat I've seen is that Brady's Patriots in the Super Bowl have not scored a touchdown the first quarter. Seriously? That's in, in five I mean, Super Bowls? Yeah. Tate, right? Then we confirm yeah, that? Yeah, we confirm that. It's crazy. Wow. Um, do, you, are there, do you want to give a little preview of our against all odds? Any props you like? Well, I, first of all, I just want to say uh, that you, you did something uh, atrocious, and you went against our code. Like Fight Club, our thing is we never hedge. Yep. With Gamble Club, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, we have the Patriots to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. We did it before, two, like two weeks ago, yep. at minus 115. Yeah. And you were a puss bag move. You took the four and a half points. I'd hedge. What, what's wrong with it? We don't have. We don't hedge. Where, where does this come from? That's that's why we always lose. We oh, I yeah. I hedged. I told you when I made the Super Bowl bet on the Pats two weeks ago that I was going to yeah. hedge if the line was more than like four points for the Super Bowl. Yeah, we always say that though. That's just like I actually <clears> did it. Hey, hey, yeah. sorry, I wanted to change my luck. I think uh, I think the line should be three. I really do. Yeah. I, I with the defense that the Pats have. I watched that whole Jags game again last week after we did our podcast. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how the Jags didn't win that game. If the Jags were like, if they were a more famous franchise, like if they were like the Dallas Cowboys, if you just took the Dallas Cowboys and, ma- and made them the Jags in that game, all people would have talked about for the next week and for the next month and the next year is how Dallas got soft in the second half of that game and let a certain win slip away. It's almost impossible that they didn't win that game, right? I right. would say, okay, but uh, don't don't you see? We're don't you think we're doing a lesser version of that defense, and maybe even a lesser version? Uh, well, dare I say, of the quarterback? But I no, because I, I think the I think the line's too low. I do. I think Philly's defense. I've been saying this all month. I think they're. I think they have the best defense. I think their defense is better than Jacksonville. I think they trust their quarterback more, and I think they're. I. They're more aggressive. Like they could have rolled over in uh in round three there when they had the lead and they didn't. They kept attacking. Jacksonville, I don't know. I, I've been thinking about what Lombardi said about how they only had thirty plays. And then mm-hmm. once they ran through the thirty, they didn't know what to do. I think that might have been what happened. I think they ran out of plays. Even the play they ran on the fourth down that to Westbrook that Gilmore tipped away. Gilmore knew it. Yeah. Yeah, he said he, he said they had run that two other times. So I I don't know. I, I think the Pats got really lucky, and I, I'd i just be surprised if they blew the Eagles out. I'm not saying this as a reverse jinx. I, their defense but just isn't think, good. We'll talk about this more Wednesday, but don't you think <clears throat> the one thing that would concern me is if they can keep Brady you know, with happy feet, if they can give him happy feet. They only have one sack against the Vikings. They, they, they do a lot of good stuff. They make nice big plays when they need to, but – Overall, I don't know that they're gonna. He's gonna be running for his life the whole time, and that's kind of what you have to do to him, especially in a dome. I don't know. That's yeah, lead the whole way. I remember Brady said something last year during the Super Bowl about how he'd really figured out. I think we've even talked about this. How he had figured out what that whole day is like, and mm. not to peak too early. And you have like the three hours before the game, and then you have like the the forever national anthems and all the histrionics before and then the game starts and it's this fast 90 minutes and then there's another 35 minute break and and he was talking about like you he has the experience now that he knows how to like peak at the right time of the game right 
Right. And meanwhile, like the Eagles, they they've only had a couple guys who have even played in the Super Bowl. And there's Nick Foles and I, I do think experience is an advantage, especially in the second half. And that that's it's the thing. Be. The coaching and Brady and the experience are the things that make me feel good. <clears throat> but like Yeah. I don't know what they're getting out of Gronk this week. Do you? Right. No, I got he's not cleared for media day, is he? No. Well you he probably should never be cleared for media day. Yeah. What's take <laughs> yeah, what's uh so we're we're doing that uh, against all odds this week. Subscribe to that podcast. We're gonna take a quick break and then come back to Parent Corner. There are only so many opportunities in life to wear a tux, so why not look great and make it easy too? With high quality rental suits and tuxedos delivered to your doorstep, the blacktux.com makes weddings or special events easier than it's ever been. I wish I'd been around I wish this had been around when I went to twenty weddings in my twenties. Tate, how many weddings do you have coming up? I have two this year. Yeah, there you go. Theblacktux.com. <laughs> Free home try-on so you can see the fit. Feel the quality of your suit months before your event. It's completely done online. No trips to the tux shop required. No tailors with cigarette breath breathing all over you. The Black Tux lets you create your look or choose from tons of stylist selected outfits. Suits usually retail for $1,200, but at the Black Tux, they start at just $95 after ordering. Your suit will arrive 14 days before your event. If anything is less than perfect, the Black Tux will send you a free replacement right away. After you're done, drop your rental back in the mail. Shipping free both ways. Get started right now. Visit theblacktux.com slash BS to get $20 off your purchase. That's Tux, T-U-X. Theblacktux.com slash BS. Experience a new way to rent tuxedos again. Back to Sal. All right, Parent Corner. America's favorite segment. We've had some sponsor interest, but you know what? I'm not giving Parent Corner away. You, it's going to have to be somebody who's great. Really is. Right, it's going to have to be somebody that really appreciates and understands how important Parent Corner is. Uh, I like that. Yeah. By the way, we haven't really had any good. I just, I just trying to make it sound. <laughs> yeah, come on. Where, where is everybody? It's, Wake we, up. There's a lot of like, hey, I'll give you $100 off of on our bowling alley. Ooh. So, uh, why don't you start? Uh, well, we're going to talk about uh, the Royal Rumble, right? So oh, yeah. you want to start? Well, I don't know. Yeah, let's mine, say, mine oh, yeah, we forgot about Royal Yeah, so last night, Rousey, there had been rumors. Yeah. I am a Dave Meltzer newsletter reader, and he hmm. seemed to think Rousey was coming back but wouldn't come out and say it. And then last night I was watching – and I just assumed she was coming out as one of the 30. I got my kids excited. Me and yeah. nephew Kyle and my two kids and, and my wife who was on her phone the whole time. We did Royal Rumble pulls for the for the man and then the woman. And mm-hmm. uh, and my son, my daughter won for the man and then I won for, for the woman. But waiting for Rousey, getting everybody fired up. And then the, it goes 29 and then 30. Yeah. And Trish Stratus comes out, which was weird because... My buddy Gus had pointed out on Twitter that Ramona Shelburne was sitting in the front row, who right. has written every single Ronda Rousey story that's ever been written, and and seems like she's pretty good friends with her too. So the mm-hmm. fact that she was there once Gus pointed that out, I was like, oh, Rousey's definitely coming out. Never came out, and then comes out at the end with one of the. It was great. She got this huge pop. It was great, and comes out. It was like she was like, like a mute. She was just pointing yeah. at the WrestleMania banner. It's like, give her a mic. Do say do anything. This is such a good payoff. Like, how do you squander this? 
I thought it was weirdly dissatisfying. What'd you think? And then afterwards, the, the interview afterwards, I don't know if you saw it on ESPN, she was like, she herself, she said, I'm at a loss for words, and I'm never at a loss for words. I'm so overwhelmed. <laughs> like, she was more coherent after her knockout, after the Holly Holm fight than right. she was yesterday. It was very strange. But I love seeing her in Roddy Piper's shirt and his leather jacket. Roddy's son, Colt, gave it to her, and uh, I've worn that jacket. It, it's great. That, that part of it... Uh, was terrific, we, but yeah, it did seem we, like a, a weird opportunity. Are we sure she's going to be good at wrestling? You know, I'm worried she's going to go out there, she's going to uh, try her hardest, and she's going to get her ass kicked. I mean, can she handle another demoralizing defeat? <laughs> well, what do you mean, are you sure she's going to be well, good? <laughs> are we sure she is the person? they want her to be. <laughs> yeah, but are we sure she has the personality for it is my question. Oh, I see. All right. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. She's got a lot of fans. It, does, uh, it doesn't seem to matter much. A lot of fans, but it was for real fighting. Right. I d- unless... Are you saying this isn't real? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Interesting well, take. I think they're going to have to position her as like a Brock Lesnar type. Where yes. she's just yeah. this indestructible force. I don't know if she's that charismatic. Does she need a manager? I was half thinking that Tanya Harding would be the surprise uh, oh, wow. entrant there. That would have been smart, right? Uh, Vince is all caught up in this XFL stuff. I don't think he was thinking ahead. Well, he got Tanya caught up in the XFL stuff, and that was one of the reasons they had the one of the best rumbles they've ever had, and that we actually had surprising winners. You know, right. I think because yeah, Vince wasn't That's there, true. being like, "Nah, I give it to Roman Reigns." But yeah. I yeah. think to save the Rousey thing, I think they give her Paul Heim- Paul Heyman. You think? Oh, yeah, that has to be how this plays out, I think. Because I don't know so if she's... she's a heel. She plays heel. She's a heel, then, you're saying. If they're smart, they make her a heel and they give her Paul mm. Heyman. But I don't know if they're going to do that. If they make her a baby face and have her do interviews, I don't think she's going to be good. Yeah, you might be right. She'll but, probably switch 17 times between now and next year. So. And her finishing move is going to be an arm bar, which is not exactly the most exciting finishing move of all time. Right. Anyway. Well, she had, we were at a WrestleMania where she put Stephanie McMahon in the armbar, right? Like, am I imagining that? But this happened like two years ago, didn't it? Yeah, at San, in San yeah. Francisco. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, this was nice and all, but we kind of saw it already. I, I thought, guess they just signed it. I thought the Men's Royal Rumble, the, they, they needed more who the, oh my God, that person moments. Right. They, were, they were just too many like people on the roster. And then the women's the big one, one was like the hurricane came out, yeah. right? I don't, I don't even real, barely remember that guy, and he lasted like forty seconds. So. Yeah, you need to throw in like the one like there's Scott Hall. Oh my God, he can't walk. Like you need like right. three of yeah. those. And then mm-hmm. the woman had like a million of them. Like I, when Lita, yeah, a ton. when Lita came out, I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> Kate, will you uh, will you isolate that line for uh, we'll use it yes. every week? For the it's rest great. Of life. They basically brought out every great female wrestler they've had i thought it was I awesome think, i think they had to like i don't think they have enough right i think they probably have barely 30 and you know they wanted to fill like eight surprise gaps i thought ramona shelburne was gonna have to come out i didn't think they were gonna get to 30 either <laughs> i started in the stands i was like they must need bodies but the uh yeah they had more than enough i thought the trish stratus was phenomenal she looked good. great she was doing moves it was, it was awesome anyway parent corner what do you have all right, well, so, you know, along the same lines, here we go with the uh, Royal Rumble. So I did the same thing. We had a pool. It was me, my oldest son, Archie, and my middle son, Jack, uh, who uh, turns 10 next week. And we do this thing, like, 1 through 30. We split the 30. Like, Jack gets 1, 4, 7, 10, 13. I get 2, 5, 8, 11. Archie gets 3, 6, 9, all the way up to 30. You get yeah. it. So, um, 
So I've won the last two years in a row doing this, and I let them pick the number, the first number, like who wants one, who wants two. You know, so I get two, and um, as, as it turns out, I have four of the last five wrestlers remaining, and he had my son Jack, who is a very poor sport at this. Yeah, he is. He he threw a fit last year. We have it on video, and I'm happy to. Uh, submit it to Twitter or whatever. He threw a fit when he lost last year. He had Roman Reigns. I had Randy Orton. Randy Orton eliminates Roman Reigns, and I go crazy. I go dancing around the house like it's the greatest thing I've ever done. And we played for a dollar last year. So this year, because I want to play for like 500, these kids have a lot of gift cards to Target and stuff. I want to, I want to take them all of it from them, but yeah. they only want to play for a dollar, so whatever. So this year we don't play for anything. Jack's not doing it unless we play for no, – there are no stakes. I was like, fine. So now I'm just going to – if I win, I'm going to amp up the celebration like no one's ever seen. So, again, I have four wrestlers left. He has Roman Reigns left. All of a sudden, it's one-on-one, Roman Reigns, and I can't even remember who won. Wait, who, Shinsuke. Who, who do I have? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, Shinsuke Nakamura, yeah. Uh, Shinsuke defeats, uh, throws Reigns over the top rope. I win, and I'm going crazy. I'm running circles around the house. I'm like, I did it again. I can't be beat at this. I will not be beat at this. And Jack comes at me. He's been taking Taekwondo for about six months now and lunges and throws some kind of like weird forearm thing to my my stomach. And uh, and I, he hits me. And for him, it, it, it's hard, but... You know, he's a little pissant, so it doesn't really affect me. But I go over, I fall over in pain. I'm like, oh, and I start rolling. And my wife is beside herself. She thinks she thinks this little nine-year-old knocked me out. And she is so mad. And it took like the next two and a half hours to try to convince her that, uh, A, it, it didn't hurt me, and B, it was fine. It was all in the spirit of the – but she wants him to like – she thinks he needs help. He's using Taekwondo <laughs> offensively, and that's not the point of this. He's supposed to use it in self-defense. So that's basically the story. <laughs> Don't uh, – you know, I'm just trying to get him over, you know. I want him to win uh, once, and then that was it. I well, fell in a heap. I hate to pig pile on this, but my son also attacked me during the Royal Rumble last night. <laughs> I think there's something about wrestling that, hey, it turns out it makes kids more aggressive. But Yeah, you make them watch it for four hours, you're going to pay the consequences, I think. I, was, I got John Cena. We did it. We basically did, you get one, you get six, you get 11, you get yeah. 16, all the way through. So I had five, 10, 15, mm-hmm. 20. Cena came out, and my son was pissed that I got Cena, yeah. and I started taunting him. And he came over and hit me with like a really hard right on my left shoulder, like enough that I I, I chased him around the house because I was actually gonna punch him back. It was like legitimate child abuse in, in motion. I was I'm, gonna, I'm chasing him all the way around like I'm Bruce Smith and he's uh, Joe Montana, and uh, I was so mad at him. I really wanted to beat him up. Parent corner. <laughs> What is parent going to, in 15 years, it's going to be like, yeah, they did kick our ass. You know, they did. We're going to be drooling over ourselves telling these stories. Well, I have oh, one, mu- one month, of, every month I have one giant bruise on my body from my son. <laughs> <laughs> right now I have a huge bruise on my leg from when he kicked me like three weeks ago when we were playing around. Somehow it's like the dad who just takes all the punishment. Yeah. Don't we let just, him take Taekwondo. We That'll just the get the crap kicked out of us. I know. Uh, so yesterday, first lazy Sunday, non-football Sunday since August. And I don't know. There's an emotional void, right? What do we do? Yeah. We, yeah. 
I watched uh, I watched the Miami Vice movie to prepare for the Rewatchables podcast Chris Ryan and I are going to do. Nice. And then around 2.30, I decided to to figure out what the hell was underneath the TV. Because we have this giant like cabinet thing on the TV, and there's just a million DVDs. There's like 11 years worth of stuff. Right. And I'm like, I got to go through there. It's like every screener I got from the Producers Guild, everything. I'm like throwing everything out, trying to figure out what to keep. Going through, first of all, at this point, does it even make sense to have DVDs anymore? No. Not really. No. So I kept like With my... Apple TV, could do a link. Yeah. yeah, I kept my 20 favorites. I'm, I'm, it's, it's like Corolla was the first one, I think, who was on this way back when, was like, it just, the physical exertion of getting up and putting a DVD in the DVD player and pressing play <laughs> is almost like too taxing for all of us at this point where right. we can just find the remote control. <laughs> so I saved my DVDs, the ones I cared about. And I'm going through and there's just a million weird DVDs. I don't really know what they are. And some of them I know are from like, uh, I thought photo albums of my kids or something. So I'm putting in and there's videos. And my, my wife has this... Um, I say this with in the most affectionate way possible. A crazy friend named Shannon who uh -huh. videotapes everything. And turns out we had some some DVDs of just my kids when they were little that I didn't know existed that were just in this uh -huh. pile. Included in this DVDs were footage of our children playing together naked in a bed while they had diapers what? on. Uh, there was some massive sleepover where they were at some beach house. It was all the people from, I don't know if the listeners know this, but your son and my daughter are three weeks apart. My daughter's older right. and have known each other since they were babies. And my wife made friends with all these people from the pre-preschool. And they had something and Archie and your wife came. And it was like this massive beach hang. And this was like the three o'clock nap. And she's videotaping all of these kids in bed together. And there are kids, probably age two, mm -hmm. in bed in our, in our diapers, jumping up and down on the bed and being crazy. It was emotional. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Parent corner, That's man. Crazy. This, this is what happens without football, right? This is what happens without football. <laughs> You're sifting through DVDs and I have all this footage of... And then, so I brought my daughter down, who of course now is 12 and a half, and she's on Instagram all the time and has an attitude about just about everything. And and I'm watching this little adorable kid on the TV with, you know, just just full of hope and life and trying to get my daughter to get excited about it. She was enjoying some of it. Then she got annoyed and she stormed out. And it was just like, that that, that's what happens. That's what happens to parents. <laughs> Yeah, they get mad that you tape, videotape them in diapers. Dad, <laughs> I don't have a shirt yeah. on. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I That's have good. I have videos of our of uh, of our kids. Now I would. Oh, we gotta have to see that. I'm gonna have to see. I'm that. gonna I'm gonna send it to you. I'm not gonna put it on the internet because as we learned from Tom Brady no. this week, uh, it's right, too right, dangerous. Right. But don't yeah, put it on the DVD either. No but one, here's no my shooting. here's my parent corner lesson. Yeah, I was always one of those parents that thought, eh, I'll just take pictures. I'm not going to be the annoying person who took video all the time. I always hated mm -hmm. the parents like, that were just constantly taping their kids. But then right. as your kids get older, you realize you wish you had more videos of your kids. So yeah. I would encourage people who have young kids, 
Well, now it's probably easier because people have the iPhone cameras and stuff like that. I would encourage people to take more videos, and you you'll be surprised that when you get older, that uh, that it it definitely resonates more than you expect. Our friend Tony is a big proponent of this, and he has I think he has footage, even if it's like two minutes of asking your kid what's going on from age two to his kids are <laughs> like late late teens now he's like and he's, he put it together and he's like it really is spectacular just listening to them talk from age two three four five on and uh just just a minute just a minute all you need is a minute and uh it's uh you'll be very satisfied you have it. yeah Please. there you go tate yeah. tate's ready to have hey, tate. kids <laughs> tate was just telling me he's like no. i'd love to have a kid you know i would I'll hate baby, to lose this <laughs> I, I would hate to lose this parent corner segment with you, but I also wonder how great it would be if you did it with Francesa. Oh. <laughs> will you try it? Will you try to bait him this Friday or whenever you have him on? My big thing for Francesa for Friday, which I think is going to be the last time he's on, is I'm yeah. going to ask him to watch The Shape of Water before before we do Friday's <laughs> podcast. Oh, I've, never, yeah. I've never cared about his take on anything more than I care about his take on The Shape of Water. Oh, really? <laughs> did you see The Shape I, of Water? I, I did see it. I think Call Me By Your Name would, would be a better... Uh, <laughs> Either. I, I, I want to hear his, get his two cents on that. Hey, dog. <laughs> dog, I don't understand. These kids are just they're, they're riding their bikes in Italy, and that's the whole movie. Hey, let's go ride our bikes hey, again. Uh, what, what, Mike, we're supposed to get excited about a tangerine? Come on, <laughs> keep it out of the bedroom. <laughs> hey, let's go ride our bikes again. Want to go for a leisurely ride? <laughs> Hey, let's get oh, off here. Then, uh, oh, and then the father. The father is so happy. The father, no father would be happy with that. <laughs> it's a humongous, humongous boy movie. Uh, all right, Sal. Wednesday, against all odds, subscribe to Sal's podcast, and you will hear the Massive Super Bowl Props podcast. It will not be on yes. this podcast. It will only be on Cousin Sal's podcast. And the trifecta will be following up later in the week on that feed as well. And then... That's right. Uh, we're also taping a whole bunch of videos with you and Lombardi. Can I announce it? I'm gonna announce it. Yeah, sure. Do it. Well, we have Media Day, which is on right. which is tonight. You and Lombardi are gonna have Meat Eater Day. Yeah, Italian Meat Eater Day. Yep. That's You're gonna right. do a whole bunch of different football prediction thingies while eating Italian yep. meats. And we're gonna be running. We got that. Gabagol, we got Mortadelle, we got Super Sod, we have salami, we have oh, we have Philly cheesesteak. It's wow. very exciting. I'm, I may not live to see the Super Bowl. I may have a corner on like like Wednesday or something. Media today. But, so you can check yep. that out on the Ringers YouTube channel or on Twitter all week. I'm very excited for these videos. Yeah. I'm excited to see how much you eat. It's it's really you guys in your element. <laughs> I don't know how Joe House isn't involved in this, but shame on it. <laughs> <laughs> Sal, I will see you on your podcast on Wednesday. Good job by you, Billy. Good job by you. Before we get to J.K. Simmons, let's talk about Soothe, the on-demand massage service that lets you experience a relaxing massage in the comfort of your own home, hotel, or office. Office? That's dangerous, Tate. Mm, you don't have to make them come in. <laughs> Book right on your phone or on the web. Soothe connects you with one of their hand-selected licensed and experienced massage therapists in as little as an hour. Think about it. You're coming home from work. You're tired. You're achy. You book a soothe massage. And in just an hour, your soothe therapist is there. I'm thinking about it right now. They bring everything you need for a massage at home, including the massage table, linens, oils, and music. Now you can end the day with the massage in your living room. It doesn't get much better than that. Book your soothe massage as early as 8 a.m. or as late as midnight and choose 
the type of massage you want, the gender of your therapist, or even treat your special someone to a couple's massage. Maybe we should do a couple's massage. That would be, yeah, there you go. Probably, yeah. <laughs> you are a special someone to me, Tate. Booking <laughs> takes seconds so you can schedule your soothe massage even when you're on the go. Available in 60 cities in the U.S. as well as London, Sydney, Melbourne, Toronto, and Vancouver. Download Soothe in the iOS App Store or Google Play Store. That is Soothe, S-O-O-T-H-E. And guess what? My listeners can receive $20 off your first massage when you use our code BS. Soothe, spa quality massage anytime, anywhere. And speaking of quality, I've been using Gillette. I can't even remember probably since college whenever i started shaving i think i started shaving in college i said i've said that before on a podcast but i might have done a couple test shaves in high school that didn't work out very well but you know what changed my life over the years the gillette fusion ultra sensitive skin shaving gel because my throat is my neck is very very sensitive and does not like razors you know what else my my neck likes the gillette fusion pro shield razor which I ordered and got four refillable razors and free shipping. And then every fourth order free because I subscribed. And now you can get Gillette Performance delivered to your door. No more getting mad at yourself because you just got back from the grocery store and realized you forgot to buy blades. Subscribe today. Pick your favorite razor and get every fourth order free. Visit GilletteOnDemand.com. That's where you get Gillette online. Once again, Gillette. OnDemand.com. Coming up, J.K. Simmons. We taped this on Friday. One of the things I liked about it, he showed up no entourage. I love when the celebs show up with nobody. They just, they're just by themselves. He's one of those guys. Really fun podcast. If you love Oz, if you love For Love of the Game, if you love Whiplash, if you've enjoyed his work over the years, I promise you, you will like this one. Here it is. All right, J.K. Simmons in the house. One of the top 10 Simmonses. I think we're both in the top well, ten. I think top five. We can go. You and me. I was just being generous. How many great Simmonses are there? Ted Simmons, Gene, Gene Simmons, Russell Simmons's stock has dropped. I think he yeah. might have fallen out of the top ten. I'm trying to think uh, what other Al your, Simmons, great baseball your, player, right? You got your Henry Simmons, another actor. You got your Johnny Henry Simmons. Simmons, another. Well, you know, you're not old enough, but Gene Simmons. The female Gene Simmons. Oh, the actress. Before the, I remember that one. Yeah, before Ben the Simmons on the 76ers. Gene Simmons, Ben Simmons. There was a Clyde Simmons Andrew on Elton the Packers. Simmons. Yeah. I mean, pretty awesome. There's not that many Simmonses, and most of them are black. So when I was buying the, when I was always hoping there was going to be a wide receiver on the Patriots named Simmons. And then it happened 20 years ago. We drafted Tony Simmons in the second round. I had no money. And I spent like $260 on his authentic jersey because I was like, this is it. There's a Simmons on the Patriots. He lasted like two yeah, years. Yeah, for a while. Yeah. 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 So now when I wear it, people are like, that's so weird. You got a Simmons jersey with your name on it? I was like, no, actually, we had this guy. He never made it. So I, I don't even know where to start with you, but I, I'm going to start here. My first real experience with you as an actor is you were one of the most evil people who have ever been on TV. It's not TV, it's HBO. You were a serial <laughs> a serial neo-Nazi rapist on the first great drama they ever and had. And killer, come on, full credit. And murderer, yeah. I forgot, and murderer. Yeah. 
And uh, riot provoker and just one of the worst people who's ever been on TV. Just all around general guy, yeah. And after seeing that for four years, you you just start thinking that person's actually like that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, well. Like, he has to be like that. He can't be that evil. And that was my wife's fear, was that I was just going to get my butt kicked on the one train, you know, on the, coming home from work. Uh, fortunately, the people who sort of confused fantasy with reality in that regard were mostly the people who thought Vern was a pretty righteous oh, dude. Like you're you're yeah. their guy. Yeah. There were people who come Some up and go, right ideas. on, man. I dig what you're saying. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, good to meet you. <laughs> I like what you stand for. Yeah. Uh, Oz was incredible. And yeah. it got lost in the shuffle because I think, you know, and this happens in sports too with athletes and stuff where people forget. People think Michael Jordan was the first great dunker and it was actually Dr. J. Right. And even yeah, before yeah. him, it was Elgin Baylor. Oz was the first great HBO drama, and it, was, it did stuff that not, that we just hadn't seen before. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, it was truly groundbreaking, and I, I have no trouble tooting the Oz horn because Tom Fontana is uh, not yeah. only a creative genius, but one of the great people on the planet, and uh, that was such a huge thing for tons of us in the cast and crew, and it was really the first drama on pay cable, and, if, and we're, look, we're talking 20 and a half years ago now because 1997 was, uh, you know, yeah, if there were other do. dramas, I don't remember them. I no. certainly can't remember a, a drama that had that many cast members. That, oh, I mean, yeah. like Hill Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, people like that on basic on network shows, but not on a cable. Right. Well, St. Elsewhere, that was Fontana's first right. TV thing. So that's uh, uh, a good connection there. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the ca that cast was... And there were people that would come and go, like like these amazing actors. Right. And people would say, oh, what was it like working with, uh, you know, Uda Hagen or, you know, yeah. whoever. And I'd go like, I don't know. I mean, there's there so many plots going on seen. that I didn't get to meet a lot of these people. It was the arc of that show is pretty cool because the first season's, I don't want to say it's laid back because it was in prison and it was over the top. But by the second, I would say the second and third seasons, I haven't watched it in a while, but man, it just really started going places. And, um, it was one of those shows like hey, I used to my buddy Joe House used to watch it and we would like call each other after the episodes We'd be like, oh, my God, out of BC. Holy. Oh, my God. Putting the headphones on before he rapes the unconscious uh, guy. Oh, you got to have your tunes. Oh, my God. It was so over the top. And I've never had an experience like that up until that point with a show where I'm like, I, anything is possible in this show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was the beauty of of that time and that place and, and HBO at the time, which coincidentally, Chris Albrecht was running HBO at the time. He's now running Stars. Where my yeah, new for show your is. new show. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he just, I mean, he just gave Tom, like, here's your budget. It ain't much. Do whatever you want. I mean, literally no holds barred. And that was, you know, if you're going to make a prison drama, that's what you want to hear. You know, you don't want to be on a, you know, a traditional broadcast network going, oh, you freaking Negro. I don't right. like you. you know? I'm a skinhead who yeah, doesn't yeah. say the N word. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, it, yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, uh, just the most raw storytelling uh, it could be. It was I always felt like that show and then Sex in the City, which was pretty much around the same time, was kind of H. Sanders was the first great show they had. Right. But Sex and the City and Oz, which are obviously completely different shows in every respect, but they both kind of were the first ones that tested the limits of, oh, we're on cable. People are paying for this. If they don't like it, they can go away. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll push the envelope this way. What was your backstory before you got that job? Because I'm assuming that was your first uh, like huge break, right? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. I, my backstory was uh, I was loving life, uh, doing theater all over the country in different regional theaters for one hundred and twelve dollars a week, uh, playing Shakespeare for a couple of months in Pittsburgh, and then going to Albany and doing a new play, and then going to Buffalo and doing a musical, and uh, finally did some Broadway shows and uh, in the like first half of the nineties, and then really made a conscious decision with my agent. I was doing my, f- my, my fifth Broadway show was a Neil Simon play called Laughter on the 23rd Floor with a great cast, and we had a great time. And most of that cast, John Slattery, Mark Lynn Baker, Nathan wow. Lane, I mean, great people, Randy Graf, uh, a lot of them had television and film careers kind of bubbling too, and, and, uh, and they would walk out to their mailbox and get a surprise check every once in a while for residuals from whatever you know and i thought that's a really cool idea yeah i think it's getting paid for stuff i did yeah instead of doing eight shows a week you know that's the same and uh you know i'm gonna try doing something different all the time and uh, and you know maybe make some money and uh, uh and coincidentally that happened about the time my wife and i had gotten together so just about the time that i started having some grown-up responsibilities as like a 40 year old wife kids mortgage was about the time that uh, that some on camera work started coming i did a couple of guest spots and then uh, and then fontana plucked me for uh, the land of oz i hesitate to ask this but did fontana say there's this part of a of a neo-Nazi murderer, serial rapist that I think you'd be perfect for? <laughs> yeah. Or did he well, just audition you and no, you stumbled actually, into it? Uh, the, uh, I, I did audition for it, but but one of the, fir- the, the first big guest starring part on TV I ever had was, I don't know, months or a year before that on Fontana's show, Homicide, oh, Life yeah, on yeah. the Street. Good one. Um, and I played a neo-Nazi Evil murdering yeah. bastard, you know, different from Vern, um, but similar, obviously. And uh, so that that was why I was the first guy in Tom's mind. And then he brought me in to, uh, uh, to audition in a way, but he didn't even have scripts written at that point. He had um, he had some of the monologues that Harold Perrineau's character, uh, Augustus Hill. Yeah, the, guy, the wheelchair the, guy. The wheelchair guy, who yeah, who was kind of the Greek chorus for the show. So he had a bunch of actors just reading some of those, and then we just kind of talked about the character that he was creating. And and, uh, and I had learned the power of the medium by that time because after doing theater for 20 years and nobody caring when I'm walking down the street, I'd done two guest spots and I'm walking down the streets in New York and, and I'm getting stopped all the time. Because you know, of Homicide. By people that saw me on Homicide wow. or I did a guest spot on a, a series called New York Undercover. Yeah. And, um, and I, I thought... If this is the response from one guest spot, he's talking to me about playing like <laughs> this evil dude, yeah. head of the Aryan Brotherhood. I, I mean, I, I almost talked my way out of it because I was afraid this is the beginning of my what I hope is going to be a, a, a an acting career on camera, and I, I just I cannot be typecast as this character for the rest of my life. I don't know how you weren't. It's amazing well, that you've shed it. It was just a total stroke of luck that. Within months after, uh, uh, or weeks after we finished shooting the first season of Oz, my agent gets a call from Law and Order, and they want me to play the shrink on Law and Order. So nice. One one night, you know, Law and Order, the most watched a, TV show, yeah, probably right, ever. Yeah, and and there were only two shows in New York <laughs> yeah. at the time, and those were the two shows. So I'm I'm yeah. playing the the psychiatrist on Law and Order and the psychotic on Oz, and and people are seeing you know the yin yang thing going on and. 
I mean, it was beautiful. So when did you did you get on the streets? You're getting noticed immediately for us. Oh yeah. I don't yeah. know how many people had HBO back then. I know well, I had it, but I, mean, I never had a feel. Especially in New York. Yeah. I mean, oh, I mean yeah. all of us, and uh, uh, you know, and there were a few familiar faces, you know, that that people knew, but it was a lot of uh, a lot of characters and actors that were not familiar. A lot of theater guys like me. Um, it still and, felt like HBO. You know, you think about you think back like Edie Falco's on the first two seasons. But in the second season, she's also Tony Soprano's wife. Right. Which is something that they would never do now in 2018, oh, right? They would never have a character on two different shows. Back yeah. then, it's still like, oh, we like her. We'll throw her in this other show. Right. I don't feel like they knew how big these shows were going to be. Well, and that, I mean, you know, that was also part of the beauty of, of uh, Fontana, you know, as the, as the sort of uh, Potter Familia, you know, because he let us out. I'm thinking of Harold getting out to do the Matrix movies. Right. He let me out to do Spider-Man movies. I mean, he was like, I'm not going to stand in people's way. Yeah. He, he, I got all these characters on my show. I mean, Dean Winters went off and did the the, uh, uh, the SVU, um, the Chris Maloney. I mean, uh, most of us had other opportunities coming our way because of Oz. And Fontana never incredible stood in the cast. way. He always made it work. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, I used to always brag about, you know, people would talk about what a great cast it is. And I'd say, well, yeah, man, it's it's New York. That's where the best actors are. Yeah. Now I live in L.A., so I, <laughs> I, I don't say that so much anymore. What, do you, what, what did you think was peak Oz? Um, you know what? I what was the highlight for you? You don't even uh, think back anymore. I mean, I, I, I don't. It was, it was such a groundbreaking show, I think, in, in just, you know, American culture uh, and obviously such a, a career-altering thing for me. At, at the time, I was just, uh, you know, trying to live in the moment and, and loved it and uh, but I don't I mean I haven't then you just move on I, yeah I haven't yeah. watched it in forever because I mean, it's streaming I guess, now I guess the, the the first moment that comes to mind is Lee Turgeson pooping on my face <laughs> you know that was a certainly a seminal moment in the history of television <laughs> I think it was the first face shitting I, I think so I mean I don't I can't recall another one <laughs> <laughs> there might have been some since Tate Tate's only 24 did you watch Oz have you seen Oz I've only seen a couple episodes, but yeah, I understand. Tommy, have you seen it? I've seen it three times, yeah. all the way through. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, I never know what the it younger was, generation. Well, and it was, I mean, there were people that would come up to me on the streets and say, and like sometimes they'd come up and say, oh, hey, Law and & Order, and go, oh, and that show Oz, oh my God. I just, I'm sorry. I just can't watch it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like would apologize for the show being too intense for them. And I'd be like, hey, you know, it's it's okay. You know, I don't feel did, bad. I think it did have a male audience. I mean, well, I guess they definitely a, had that. I mean, yeah. we were a big hit in the village. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, there were, but it went, I mean, every demographic, you know, black, white, young, old, rich, poor. I mean, truly every demographic would come up to me with, with something to say about that show. My parents, you know, who were just about retiring age in uh, living in Missoula, Montana, yeah. you know, and, and, and they watched the show every week because it was such great storytelling about oh, yeah. these characters. But, but my so mom, good. and this is old in the VCR days, you know, 20 years ago, and my mom, uh, we were talking on the phone one time and she said, she, uh, uh, well, she said, we haven't watched last night's episode yet. We decided it's not really good to watch it and then go to bed. <laughs> Smart. So, so we tape it and we watch it the next day. We good. go out on the porch and listen to the birds sing and look at the sunny kind of, day. And unwind. Then, you know, kind of unwind a little bit. I yeah. can't. I can't remember because I probably blocked it out of my mind. Did you get naked on us? Yeah. You must have, right? Yeah, everyone no, got. All, everyone had their tour of nakedness yeah, on us. We all had our turn in the hole, and uh, 
and there was there was a major transition for me between the first season of Oz and the rest of Oz because the first season I had pretty much been letting myself go for a long yeah. time. I was I was like, and I started watching the show, you know, just as it aired. And I thought two things. First of all, just vanity and my my former, gee, I used to think I was kind of athletic, you know, thing took over. And I was like, oh, oh my God, who is the doughboy? Right. And then the other thing was just verisimilitude as an actor. I'm looking at that going, I, I don't, I'm, I'm having a hard time believing this guy is the head of the Aryan Brotherhood. And, and he looks like he's the, the guy that's Stay Puff Marshmallow. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. So uh, between the first and second seasons, I, I dropped like 35, 40 pounds. And a little Billy Blanks Tybo? Not exactly, but, you know, a, a version of that. I, I, I actually uh, trained with a, a Billy Blanks looking kind of guy mm. named Mots in New York. Um, and, uh, yeah, just got back into the gym. And, and really that was an impetus that's, uh, that's helped me mostly. I've had a couple of lapses, but, you know, mostly stay uh, healthy and fit over the years. So... So when I was naked in the first season, I was kind of crumpled up in the corner, you know. Hiding. And then, uh, and then I, uh, the next time Tom threw my butt in the hole, I think uh, um, I, uh, I thought I, I pitched this version of going into the hole to him, where because I'm all hooked up now and I have Aryan brothers. Uh, yeah. Bill Fagerbach, he played a, a a corrections officer who was also one of my Aryan Brotherhood guys. So I thought I'm hooked up. So instead of throwing me into the hole. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk in there like I'm the king of the joint and kind of strut in and so I I, I did my uh, my naked strut uh, yeah with it's my uh, my lily white butt yeah Wasn't I definitely blocked that out of my yeah. mind yeah good, good <laughs> um, thing to black out I feel like Oz could come back I think they could actually I think I would say this about very few shows I'm not saying we'll come back with you I mean you you've ascended us well 90, but I'm saying like the idea of the a, a prison show I'm kind of ready for it again I'm ready to go back in. Well, Especially a show like that. I'm just ready. It's been 20 years. I'm ready for another tour. All right. Well, I'll talk to Fontana. Tom Fontana. Yeah, tell, yeah, him, yeah. tell him to get his, tell him to get all of his B-list ideas and start sprucing them up. Oz, too. I mean, God Oz knows. Too. Frank Baum wrote like a thousand Oz books. Why not? Why Did not? Oz blow up? I can't remember. Wasn't there one where it, it was almost, It was almost going to blow up. It almost blew up. Yeah, uh, and that was God. that was when we didn't know after season four. Yeah, if it was we, gonna get canceled. we did alternate endings yeah. <laughs> for season four because we didn't know. actually we had a version of me getting killed at the end uh, of season four. I got shanked by uh, God was it Saeed? I think it was Kareem Saeed, uh, Eamon Walker, and um, oh, yeah. and then and then you know and then we we didn't know it, it, am I they take me off? It's like am I are they taking me to the morgue or the hospital? And fortunately for us, it turned out to be the hospital. The funniest thing during the Oz run, you were in For Love of the Game as the manager of Kevin Costner's Perfect Game. Yeah, yeah. And my I'm hometown like, oh my Detroit God, it's Tigers. Oh, manager. Is he going to start like a like an Aryan race war in the locker well, room? That was, What's going to happen? You know what? That was one of the, well, first of all, that was the dream job of my life. Yeah, because you're a Tigers fan. Because I'm a Tigers guy, born and raised there. And uh, uh, the, the only bad news for me was despite the fact that I'm like one week, I think, older than Costner. Yeah, he gets to play the stud pitcher, and I I get to play the manager. Um, <laughs> you have a little mustache, right? Well, grew a little, I, grew a little stash I, I for grew it. the stash for it, and that was and and my main thinking there was Jim Leland, you smart, who also had Tiger ties, but he was the manager of the Pirates at that time. I was a big, obviously a big Tiger fan, but I was a big Jim Leland fan too, and uh, and then I also thought, yeah, it won't help to it won't hurt to uh, distance myself a little bit from. Vern Schillinger and Oz and you know I think in my review for that on ESPN.com I think I even mentioned the Jim you were Jim Lelandy 
Oh, awesome. In that movie or something right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because his pet phrase, one of his pet phrases was, uh, at a baby. At a baby. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I did throw in some at a babies. I mean, uh, 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 there was my first movie with Sam Raimi. We ended up doing five movies together, and, and we're talking about another one. Hopefully, that'll Ooh. happen. And, um, uh, it was, uh, he always, uh, uh, in my experience with him, has, has given everybody, uh, uh, and certainly myself, uh, room to move or room to play room to improvise so so a lot of what you see in the dugout especially is is just uh uh you know the cameras get turned on and sam goes okay it's the bottom of the eighth and the the time runs on third and ready to go you know i think uh if you're making a a baseball movie with characters from different movies i think that's the manager It's it's him and maybe maybe the coaching staff from the natural would be my two those two guys i'll I'll take it that would be my three dudes absolutely take it I have a really complicated relationship with that movie because I think the baseball stuff is fantastic. And I've, I've even written this. If you just took out the entire love plot <laughs> and you just cut it into a 70 minute baseball movie, it would be spectacular. Cause when I'm flipping channels, I, in the baseball, it's like, oh, here's the part where Costner's about to realize he's actually throwing a perfect game. Or, oh, this right. is the Mickey Hart part. Like, <laughs> I'm in for all those. And then it's like, oh, here's Kelly Preston. They're out of date again. I'm like, hey, can we get back to the the perfect game? <laughs> well, you, you, you're not alone there. Yeah, and, I'm not uh, alone. Know, I mean, it was and, the flaw of the movie. But to me, that was the beauty of the book, which is this this little novella, really. Uh, yeah. Um, is uh, uh, you know is that is that dichotomy and that you know the 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 deeper you know real life aspects of that love story? But uh, definitely, uh, most of us who were in uniform in that movie are pretty pretty much agree with you. Yeah, yeah nothing yeah. against Kelly Preston. I mean, but uh, but uh, it's just the baseball stuff was so good, and then the rom com stuff was just rom com stuff. You well, know? And, it's, and it's yeah, like, and it is one of those baseball movies where you know because God knows we've seen plenty of sports movies where they're like, wow, did anybody involved with this ever play a sport of any kind ever, you know? And this movie was so smart uh, uh, with the baseball stuff. And Costner's a really good athlete. I mean, Costner's I'm on the bench phenomenal. there with guys who are high minor leaguers or ex-big leaguers or ex-coaches. Jim yeah. Colborn, uh, who played my uh, my third base coach, who's still a buddy to this day. Um, and, and and they're saying, wow, this, this guy can play. This guy can throw. Oh, he can yeah. move. He Think can, how many you know, pitches he... He uh he randomly came to the Grantland holiday party once because Jimmy Kimmel brought him. Yeah. And of course I cornered him for twenty minutes about sports sports movie questions. But he said he threw like a kajillion pitches. Oh, dude. He, he and was he was th- like, he was I don't he was like by the end of that movie my shoulder was just gone. <laughs> yeah. That was it was just history. There was no like hundred and ten pitch count, you know, with Costner. <laughs> he needed like yeah. seven Tommy John surgeries to uh <laughs> yeah. he said uh he said John C. Riley, they had to they had to get a little creative with the cutting around his throwing. <laughs> maybe a little. He had, yeah. he had everything down with the catching except for the having the cannon arm. Maybe. Yeah. Well, and, and then, had everything else. And then the scene where he uh, he scores the only run of the game. Yeah. Scores from second to everybody's surprise on a, on a single, right? Yeah. Because he is a catcher. Um, and they, <laughs> that's one of the ones we were shooting. I'm sorry, John. I'm sorry. I'm I'm throwing you under the bus here, man. I love you. I'm going to see him in a few weeks. Um, he had but, a sliding uh, issue, but they had, you know, he had to come barreling down, you know, the third base line to home, a very close tag play, and this is in the old block the plate days, and slide head first into home, right? And they did it a couple times with his double, who uh, I'm an idiot because I forget his name, um, who was a ball player, and then and then they did they did it with John, and uh, 
it wasn't Colborne. It was one of the other uh, ex-big leaguers coaches who was sitting next to me. <laughs> He's got the the big, you know, chaw in, and and John did his first take of running and diving and sliding head first, and this guy, <laughs> this guy leans over me and goes, "Jesus Christ! It looked like it got shot by a sniper." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love that movie. I like when he signs the baseball. It always gets me. Yeah. Tell him I'm through. Yeah. For love of the game. It's just great. It's a and great thanks moment. thanks for not calling it for the love of the game, which 90% of people do. Yeah. Like the movie I did called Thank You for Smoking. And people just always call it Thank You for Not Smoking because that's It's a good one. The Costner, the Costner baseball movie trilogy yeah. of the Field of Dreams, Bull Durham, and then playing the aging pitcher at the end. But I always think of any time there's an old pitcher. Yeah. I was, there's like always like a Billy Chapel yeah. shadow. How did you become Jason Reitman's spirit animal? Yeah, you know, did uh, you audition for that? It's a beautiful thing. I did audition for the first one. Thank you for smoking. And but uh, how, did you have to audition to be a spirit animal, or was that that just kind was of that happened? a separate audition? Well, I don't I, know. I, I guess that was uh, an audition that I was unaware of because when I first of all when I went to audition for for his first movie, Thank You for Smoking, um, because I'm you know, an idiot who I, I'm not tuned into showbiz at all. I had no idea who Jason Reitman was. He, he was this very hot, you know, up and coming director. Young director had all yeah. these short films. He was already a Sundance darling. He's by the way, the son of Ivan Reitman, um, who everybody in show business, you know, knows and worships. And yeah, I just went to this, it was just like this cool script and this fun character and I'm going to audition and it's kind of a pain because it's out in Santa Monica and I live, you know, in Hollywood and, uh, I'm, I'm, there i'm on time and they're behind as they always are and i'm waiting like 45 minutes and then i go out to plug my parking meter and uh and you know this this person whoever he is jason reitman is not there yet and i'm out going plugging and i'm deciding am i gonna plug my parking meter or am i gonna just get in my car and go home and have lunch with my wife and uh because because at a certain point for me back in the days when i had to audition um (laughs) It would be like, I've waited 45 minutes and I'm just getting irritated and antsy. And if this character is not irritated and antsy, I'm not going to do well, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was kind of having that interior battle. And then as I'm deciding and standing by the parking meter, this this random dude comes up and he goes, hey, J.K. Simmons, you know? And it was a point where I, you know, sometimes got recognized, but not usually with my full name. And, and I went, uh, yeah, yeah, how you doing? And he took this half second pause and he went uh, uh, I'm Jason Reitman I'm uh, he said I'm so sorry I'm late I'm here to and I was like oh yeah 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 I was just just plugging my meter here you know because I'm because I'm totally ready to wait around for a little more and uh went in auditioned for him obviously it went well he asked me to play the part and uh and despite the fact that he's basically I'm his dad's generation you know I mean I, I could be his father biologically um he became a real a real mentor to me and uh and we, I, I invited him to join uh, uh, our poker game, which was a bunch of, you know, old farts my age. And um, and I remember when I first invited him, he said, yeah, I, I, I don't really play poker. And I said, perfect. Right. You know. Bring some money. Well, yeah, we'll, 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 teach we'll, we'll teach you. We'll take your money. We'll take your money and teach you how to play. And like within, you know, five or six games over the course of a few months, he was immediately the best player at the table. Because really? he's just a genius guy. And um yeah, and anyway, then he, you know, so at a poker game a year later, he hands me this script and he goes, you got to read this. This is really good and I think I'm going to do it. And there was this little movie called Juno. 
And he didn't even tell me, I want you to play this awesome part of the dad. I was, so I'm reading the script thinking, oh, here's this little one scene part. Maybe I could do that. Maybe I could do this. And, you know. How many have you done with uh, him now? At uh, least four, right? Uh, four, five. Oh, I just finished one this fall, um, a movie called The Front Runner. Well, I know um, he feels like you're, you're, uh, yeah, you're no, his good luck charm. He's called me his muse, yeah. uh, which is uh, troubling. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, every one of his features that's come out to date, I've, I'm either in or in one, we just, because there was no part that made sense for me to do that wouldn't just sort of be weirdly, you know, attention grabbing cameo. He had me do a an off-camera voice in, uh, in his movie, you in? Young Adult, just so we could say, yes, I've been involved in Every right I really liked so. Young Adult. I never understood why Charlize didn't. Oh, I, well, she came on the podcast six months ago, and she was like so excited that I liked it and thought that movie was awesome. Because I think like everybody who was in it was like, "Why didn't this do better?" Yeah, yeah. No, it was because she was unbelievable, movie, and it. she was crazy. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, so and it was a great. They have another movie coming out. Uh, yeah, yeah. I he think likes in the her. Spring that yeah, um, that's gonna really really turn heads again yeah she was unbelievable and and the bold choices in the in the storytelling there and the, and that she just you know 110 percent went with it yeah she, she was, totally did she was so awesome. you became over the 2000s you turned into this like kind of high level character actor and you're in all these different things popping in and just doing good stuff and that keeps going and then all of a sudden whiplash happens go figure and that was Reitman. There was a Reitman connection there. Yeah. He sent me the script. He emails me the script and he goes, uh, and it was a script at the time for for the, the feature film and also the short film. And he said, uh, uh, you know, you got to read this. It's great. And, uh, and the kid's like, what, 26, Damien? Oh, younger than that. He 24? was like 24, I think, when I met him. And he, and he looked like, <laughs> this was, when I first met Damien, I, I had a, uh, uh, I just read the, the scripts, the short film and the feature. It's, it's, you know, everybody who's seen it knows that it's genius. And, uh, and I'm, I'm so excited to meet this guy. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a film, a story about jazz, the ultimate American art form, really African-American art form. The guy's name is Damien Chazelle. I have no idea who that is, but in my mind, I'm seeing Antoine Fuqua. Yeah. Right? So I'm thinking I'm gonna. There's gonna be this, you know, tall, impressive black dude with yeah, like, that a, like, like a beret on or yeah. something that I'm that I'm gonna go meet. And and they set up the meeting and we're gonna sit down. We're gonna have lunch and I and I walk into the restaurant and I'm kind of, I mean, if if you filmed this moment, nobody would believe it because I'm like looking around, looking around, and I'm looking right through and past this like skinny little curly haired Jewish kid from New Jersey who's finally starts raising his hand and waving and going, hi, JK, it's me, Damien. <laughs> uh, and I went, oh, my God, is this really the mind that spawned this this work of total genius? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, and the rest was it was just, uh, we, we did the short film. It's almost with, like you uh, had to use your Broadway chops in that movie. Oh, well, that, that my, movie no, back, like back way before that, I, mean, I had to do my, my I, I got my degree at the University of Montana in, in music. Yeah, and compositions, voice, conducting. And, so this is like uh, the perfect movie for you. Yeah, me. yeah. And that was the first thing that the, after we sat down, Damien said, uh, he said, listen, first of all, I just want you to not be intimidated by the musical aspects of this. He said, we, you know, we'll have a, a, um, a 
a, a consultant, you know, a, a professional conductor who, you know, can help you. And we'll have a body double, you know, that we can use for some of the long shots to do the, the real conducting stuff. And, and I said, well, I, no, don't, <laughs> you don't need to because yeah. that's my whole background. And he was, I mean, there was this sort of kismet moment where he went, wow. He wrote the thing with Miles Teller in mind without knowing that Miles had been playing drums since he was 15 years old. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this was one of those things that was like, you look back on it, and everything was just meant to be, and everything came together, you know. I said this. We did. had Miles on a few months ago, and I was saying, it's not a sports movie, but it kind of feels like one. It's like it's, yeah. There's like this genre of sports movies that have no sports in it, that have like kind of the beats and moves of a sports movie with like the same kind of... The music scenes are basically the sports movie scenes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, like a, a boxing movie. Yeah, it's like, like it's almost. what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like this mano a mano something. Yeah. So at what point did you think you had a chance to get nominated for an Oscar for this? I am i don't... Had you been nominated for an Oscar before? I don't know. No, remember. and I'd never... I'd, I'd never... I'd always had this sort of weird disdainful distancing thing from, oh, awards for the arts are anti-creative, you know, wh- yeah. whatever, you know. Um and and it, but and it had never been really a part of my world since I got the best actor trophy at the Big Fork Summer Playhouse in Montana <laughs> right. when I was in college, you know. And I just it I mean, it it didn't cross my mind at all. We made the short film with uh, with another wonderful actor, Johnny Simmons, playing no the Miles playing what became the Miles Teller part. And the short film went to Sundance, uh, made a big splash, best short at Sundance, blah blah blah, and it accomplished what it set out to do, which was let's get some interest and some money so we can, you know, get three and a half million or whatever and make the feature. Um, and now I've been digressing so much I forget what your question was. <laughs> Time is going to help us. Oh, awards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you um, think? Yeah. Well, we were uh, um, we were in Cannes, which was my first time at Cannes, and, and Miles uh, couldn't make it. Damien and I were there. The reception at Cannes was, was like a storybook. Again, if you filmed it, People would go, okay, all right, stop, because people don't clap that long at the end of a movie, you know. Um, and and we're uh, we're at a little, you know, bar restaurant afterwards, having some food and a drink, and my agents there, and Damien, and and uh, um, uh, Michael and Tom, the guys from uh, from Sony Classics, who had just you know picked up the movie, and uh, and we're talking, and they were telling me this was in May. And they were telling me, oh, so this is what's going to happen now. This festival, that festival, you're going to go here, 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 and here. I would, we were very optimistic. There's going to be nominations for all these awards, and you're going to need to do this, 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 and this, and go to London and go to Toronto and go to. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not. No, thanks. I'm not. I'm going to go to I'm my next job. Now. I'm going to go yeah. back to my family and drive the kids to school and work when there's work and hope that it's in L.A. like Whiplash was, and. Uh, and we went. There. We had this ridiculous sort of back and forth where Michael and Tom were, were going, yeah, 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 no, we get it, you know. But you you got to understand, this is like big, and and could be like. And I was, and I just kept going, yeah, no, I don't care. I don't. Yeah, I'm not. That's not why I do it. Blah 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 blah. And finally, Michael. Uh, yeah, it was Michael Barker who said, uh, "All right, all right, what's it going to take?" You know, like I, like I'm holding out. You know. Because apparently, I guess people ask for you know, eh, pay me a hundred grand, and I'll you know, um, and I said, well, I said, I don't know. I mean, you know, the reason I like working at home is because I like my life. I like my wife right. and kids. I like to see them every Watch day. Watch Tigers you know? games. I said, yeah, yeah. I said, how about they come with me? And and they said, well, 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, so there it was. You know, that they, sounds like a fun year. They were on the ride. Yeah, I, yeah. And my 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 wife and I sort of embraced the whole thing, and uh, she was on every red carpet with me from you know Palm Springs to you know here and there and everywhere. And the kids were along for most of it. Uh, my son got a little bored with it, but uh, but <laughs> our our daughter was into it. What do you and, remember and, about like the whole award seasons run from like? I well, guess Golden Globes all the way through. Yeah, yeah. You're just basically the same. It's basically the same award show over and over again, but the stakes keep getting higher. Yeah, uh, but but it was also like a snowball rolling downhill because the the people who really know about all that stuff started telling me early on. It's like they're like, it's not even a question. You're like, you're like, you know, nine hundred to one in Vegas. I mean, it's like they everybody knows you're going to win all these awards, including the Oscar. So every time I went to one of those things, or whatever, the New York Film Critics or this or that or the other thing, the Golden Globes, the SAG Awards, the, the BAFTAs in London, you know, it was with this weird sort of sense that, like, they're going to call my name and I'm going to go up there and they're going to hand me a trophy and I'm going to try and think of something nice to say. And uh, so, so when it got to the Oscars, I'm sitting there with my wife and she's in her beautiful purple dress and we're down really close to the front of the stage and... Uh, uh, and it's the first award I think that they that they announce and and when they said my name it was there was there was like a little sense of relief yeah more than anything else because I was like I mean if I, if they don't say my name I'm I'll, I'll feel like a complete schmuck you feel like the Patriots in 07 <laughs> or something yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and they did and I and I went up there and for people who are, are interested I was I had always all those awards that I got and 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 you know. I'm very grateful for that whole season. I never like prepared a speech or memorized a speech or wrote down a list of names to thank or anything. I just kind of went up with a usually sort of a general idea. This is what I want to say. This is what's important to me. This is what I want to get out there. Yeah. So, so I went up, I'm walking up on stage and I'm just kind of trying to keep my cool because it's the Kodak theater and everybody in show business is, you know, Meryl Streep is standing up down there clapping and actors that I've, that I've known and respected for years, but I mean, not known, but not known personally, are are standing up, like looking at me like I'm their, you know, cousin or something, you know, like like they have this this you know sort of whatever journeyman respect for oh like my you, career or whatever. And, you're like uh, the uh, yeah, you're the actor's actor. Yeah, yeah, and I'm and yeah. I'm and I've got I've developed a reputation that I'm not a pain in the butt to work with, and right. you know, so so you know, they like me, they really really like a, me. You I know? spent a half hour with you. I li- I like working with you. This is fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm just getting a little old, frankly, right now. I'm kind of ready to go, but uh, um, but but I'm walking up there, sort of trying to think of what to say, and uh, uh, Lupita Nyong'o is 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 handing me the the trophy because she was the best supporting actress the previous year. And I and I get up to her and I'm kind of like in my head and not really focused and I and I go to <clears throat> shake her hand like you know not in the like sort of not Hollywood way like oh yeah you're supposed to do the fake kiss on the cheek but I'm also reaching for the trophy and what I ended up doing and you can rewind this you can find this on face uh, on uh, uh, YouTube I basically gave her just a little headbutt just this really? little bit of a headbutt as I'm as I'm. She's leaning in for the kiss, and I and I and I kind of belatedly went, "Oh yeah, the fake kiss," and and little a slight clash of noggins there. Yeah. God, if you had drawn blood, that would have that would have been awesome. Been the most unbelievable Oscars <laughs> moment until they screwed up the envelopes. <laughs> would have been blown off the stage. So then you go to the parties the whole night holding the Oscar. Uh, 
Yeah, which is just that's got to be the best. It's yeah, like holding a deer's head. Just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I just shot this. Like, what, seven points. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Took this thing down. Yeah. So then, what happened to your career? You just getting all these crazy opportunities. Um, well, uh, my my career was already well beyond anything I had ever fantasized yeah, about or imagined. You, to, you know, but but that yeah, pushed you I mean, another stratosphere. It just, I mean, the sheer level of offers and scripts flying my way, you know, increased immediately. And of course, half of them were to play a guy that berates everybody and this is you know i mean it was like oh it's like whiplash light right you know? um you're an angry and, college uh, basketball coach yeah exactly yeah yeah um so uh, uh you know it was it was easy to turn down a lot of things and and uh, and and really a position of uh, you know which i'm still more or less find my myself in of uh, you know scripts just keep coming and and i and i Oddly, the, the the biggest benefit of that is that it's given me the confidence to sort of not always work, right? And know that you know I'm I'm going to be all right, and and the offers are going to keep coming. I took the whole summer off this past summer, traveled around Europe wow. with my wife and kids. I took all the way from I finished the Jason Reitman movie um, in the middle of November, and I'm and I'm not going back to work until a week after next. And it's it's been you know my age is getting a little like. You know, come on, you man. Keep, you're turning down a lot of stuff, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, and I, and I haven't always made brilliant choices. I didn't always make brilliant choices before, but uh, I'm only doing stuff that I find interesting, and uh, especially if it shoots in LA. Without getting too movie nerdy, you couldn't have been surprised by Damien's next thing in La La Land and like, between Whiplash and that movie, just what happened? Oh, I mean, he he's going to make brilliant movies for you know. Hopefully, do you the think, next. I hate the word years. genius, but do you think no, he's no, actually a genius? You. Yeah, I. It's not a word. It seems it's like a, people actually think he is a genius. Yeah, that word gets tossed around, but I I've used it for him, and I, I without you know without feeling like oh well I'm kind of you know overinflating something. No, right. I mean I think I, I think that word absolutely applies. And his film that he's working on now, uh, uh, First Man, is a is a a biopic about Neil Armstrong uh, walking on the moon. You know, I mean, it's, it's going to be such a departure from La La Land, which was such a departure from Whiplash. He's going to continue to surprise people and just be brilliant for ever. I felt bad for him with the La La Land stuff because it became this polarizing movie. And I don't think he ever intended it to be a big movie. I think this was like he used Whiplash to make this little crazy idea he had that he really believed in and I didn't think he wanted it to be the biggest movie of the year yeah no 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 and that and that idea for La La Land had had been in his head I, even before the idea for Whiplash even though yeah. Whiplash is uh, uh, you know semi-autobiographical um, that's just, I thought that sucked how that played out because everybody's so eager to have the backlash yeah 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 and this year it's going to happen to three billboards i know that thing's going to get raked through the coals over the next four weeks because it's the favorite right now and people are going to decide it shouldn't be and here we go and yeah yeah you we know, know how this goes they're, they're always haters who want to you know yeah pick on michael jordan or, la la land you know, was a cool movie i didn't love it i didn't think it was the best movie of the year but i'm glad i saw it and i thought it was really creative well and when you get you know when you get right down to it it's the same uh, you know with awards like that as you know you're picking a, a brilliant apple a against a brilliant orange against right. a, against a great hammer. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, they're, they're different things. My theory say, is that I think we should wait five years to give out the Oscars. Like with the oh, baseball hall of fame, see what lasts. Baseball right. hall of fame. We wait five years, right? <laughs> I want to wait five with the Oscars. Yeah. I don't think that's going to sell. It, it, it definitely <laughs> won't sell. It definitely won't sell. But sometimes you look back and you go, Oh yeah. 
You know, like I think the movies this year, I think five years from now, I think Get Out and Lady Bird, I think are going to have legs. I think people are going to remember 2017 for those two movies. And yeah, I think you're right. I, th- I, th- I think Three Billboards will too. Uh, we'll that, see. That I don't was know. A, a, that was a big favorite of mine this year. Um, I mean, oh, so you, you know, as usual, you know, this is the time of year when everybody's going, oh, it was a great year for movies. And, you know, I mean, this yeah. really was a good year. Yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, I, I thought I was, I'm pro 2017. We've had, you know, it's like sports, it comes and goes. Some year yeah. in sports, you have like just incredible Final Fours and championship games and Super Bowls, and other years, they all suck. So you never know. What made you want to do a star show? Uh, I didn't want to do tv or a star's show I, I just wanted to you know uh, continue to chase good stories and good scripts and want to work with good people and uh uh when uh when this was presented to me i actually didn't think uh, counterpart uh i didn't think i would end up doing it but it was shortly after whiplash and after the oscar and after all these things and i was you know the flavor of the month and everybody wanted to meet with me and and i got this script by justin marks and i loved it and i loved it even before i got to the point of the script where this whole little sci-fi you know sugar gets sprinkled on the top of the storytelling yeah and uh but i went to the meeting with with justin and with jordan horowitz coincidentally producer of la la land yeah uh and uh and morton tildum who was uh, directing the first episode of counterpart who i had loved his work on um, the imitation game um and uh so I just thought, I really want to meet these guys. I don't know this guy, Justin Marks, but I love his writing. And, and we sat down to chat, and I said, I love it, I love it, I love it. Here's why I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy because of uh, I think I'm, uh, uh, I'm 20 years too old for it. And they kind of talked me out of that. And Justin was like, no, 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 I always saw this guy as this sort of pushing 60, you know, like his last opportunity to make something of himself. Um uh, so he talked me out of that, and then I said, "You know, I'm, I, I'm not comfortable with the idea of being, you know, the guy that's there seventy hours a week. You know, part of the reason I like working at home is that, you know, I actually like having a life and a job at the same time. So often in showbiz, if you're the lead on a show, you just, I mean, you you work and you sleep, and that's it. And I'm, I'm not loving that idea. And he said, uh, he said, well, after the first couple episodes, there's going to be a lot of subplots, and you're still going to be the lead guy, but." it's not all going to fall on you and you know you'll have a, a morning off once in a while and take your kids to school and then the third thing i said was it's set in at the time it was set in sort of generic eastern europe and they were going to shoot in romania and i was like yeah well that's you know that's just, i'm out I'm, I, I just can't i mean that's just not me that just doesn't fit my life and they all sort of looked at each other around the table and morton said i can shoot la for romania and i in, they're totally. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I was in total I've said shock. That often, yeah. I was like, "Wow, you you win a bunch of trophies and like you can pretty much do whatever you want." You know? Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I, I signed up, and and then and then they went and took the show with me attached to it after we made our deal, and they went to pitch it to networks and the usual suspects: Netflix, HBO, Showtime, Stars, uh, uh, on down the line, like like fifteen networks and. There was interest from a lot of people, and stars stepped up and said, "Look, we want it badly enough. We're going to ask for two seasons up front. We'll guarantee you two seasons up front based on what we have right now." So that was our uh, I'm, how I'm we ended up at three stars. Three on my DVR, and I told you this before we started. Yeah. And then I'm watching all three in a row because that's my new strategy with TV shows. You're allowed. I'm too. I'm too used now to being able to watch more than one. So I like to do three so you, in a row. So you're, That's a, you're a victim like a, of the 21st century attention yeah, span. Yeah, the gotta, ADD thing. Yeah. 
but I'm excited for it. The ads were good. I thought the ad campaign was strong. It got me interested. Yeah, it's, Usually it's, ad campaigns are bad for TV shows. This was actually... And, and I'm not... I'm not... <laughs> as the marketing department knows. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a big... I mean, I you know, I like doing the work. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the of the marketing for TV shows in general either. But I think they did a great job with this. And, and more importantly, the show is intriguing enough and, and smart enough... Uh, uh, that uh, it's getting good reviews and, and good. people are loving it and word of mouth is good. So, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be around for a few years. What's the best scene, best acted scene you've ever been in? Uh, the scene with me and me. That what do you mean? Be the scene in Counterpart where I play my own counterpart and there's two J.K. Simmonses just... You're acting with yourself? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah best actor i ever worked with <laughs> the guy i mean i know what everybody's been talking about all these yeah, years. now i get it yeah this now, guy's something now i have that experience <laughs> the tigers haven't won a world series since 1984 i gotta go <laughs> that was 34 years ago thank you now, 33 and a half <laughs> yeah yeah and this year the tigers are basically the mud hens right so, are the tigers officially is it officially a tortured fan base because i feel like oh. two generations makes you tortured well because like the 86 Mets now, I think, qualified last year because they were 31 years. Now, right. I'll accept arguments from Mets fans after they pulled the World Series out of their assholes in 1986. But now it's been 31 years. If you're 36, you don't remember that. Well, we've had we had the, the Jim Leland years. Yeah. And, d and, and that, you know, two World Series. Sponsored by Marlboro I mean, Red. Playoffs, <laughs> playoff appearances, you know, expected and delivered almost every year. A great, great run. Uh, you know, we underperformed in a couple of World Series. That's you know, you can't say oh, Jim. Two thousand thirteen was a disgrace because you oh, guys had a better awful. team than my just, Red Sox. Just, I don't know how we beat you. Just bad coaching, bad base running, bad no, defense. It bad, was a cluster. Bad plate umpiring, but I'm not yeah. gonna. You know, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of things got to bounce your way. And, and you know, we had that horrible World Series against the Cardinals. And yeah. then, and then a, at least as bad against the Giants. And then, yeah, that series against against your Red Sox was a Are you a going to these games? Are you using your Hollywood clout to like, get in there? I'm going to – you know what? I didn't go to any of uh, the World Series games the, uh, in 06, Leland's first year, when we were like the big surprise. I did go – to watch us beat the Yankees, yeah, in Yankee Stadium. I was rooting for you that series, and and we went flew out just for the game with a buddy of mine, and then that was the one game that was rained out, and uh, and I'm I'm calling my wife, you know, we're back at the hotel. I'm calling my wife and going, oh, you know, blah blah blah, what a bummer. The game was rained out, and you know, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. She goes, what, what are you talking about? She goes, you're not getting on a plane tomorrow. She goes, I don't care whatever's going on, yeah. I'll handle it. You know, if it's work, screw it. She said, you, you're there, you, you know. Just so go we, to a seedy we, casino tonight in Detroit <laughs> yeah, yeah, or yeah. Ontario. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. We, this was in New York. Oh. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we went, saw an awesome game the next night, you know, the two of us in our Tigers gear being those two guys in yeah. the stadium. And then, you know, a week later, we uh, we jumped in the car and drove up to Oakland for uh, for not the deciding game in Oakland. I don't remember. It was game two, maybe, in Oakland and uh, and saw a great Tigers victory there with uh, uh, with uh, um, Todd Jones making sounds me crazy. Like sounds like you're ready for another baseball movie. I think I am. Yeah, yeah. You think I'm too I old to play the center fielder? I don't know. Were you in Moneyball? I, I was at the table read of Moneyball. Didn't get it. But, no, what were you trying I, to get? I did 
Art Howe? Get it. <laughs> well, that was that was the part they were looking at me. They were interested in me for. It, it was not the part I was actually interested in. I was thought, okay, I'm a bald white guy, so I'll play Art Howe. You know, I didn't think it was that great a match. Otherwise, there was there was another part that I that I kind of had my eye on uh, that uh, uh, you know obviously uh, didn't didn't come my way. But uh, um, great movie. All right, so you, everybody we have on a podcast somehow wants to make a baseball movie. Tommy, we just have to. We have to get up. Miles Teller wanted to do it. Jalen Hall wanted to do it. Who else? John Hamm. Yeah. I'll, I was just I'll talking take, to John Hamm about this two weeks ago. On my team, and we have a, we have the, all the makings. I just need like a, like a month to grow the mustache. Coster's and, uh, ready. And I'll, absolutely, Coster's well, ready for a sixty year old. Yeah, he's gonna have to be pitcher. on my coaching staff this time. I <laughs> no, think. He's, he's coming. He'll be back. the team owner. No, he's he's <laughs> your he's your old knuckleballer. Right. He's figured out how to stay in the league. <laughs> Oh, Cranston, that was the other one. He's Cranston. my, uh, uh, yeah, Costner will be my uh, don't look back, something might be gaining on you uh, right. guy. Cranston's one of those, this is how you really know somebody loves baseball, the guys who are still in the in the baseball leagues. Yeah. And they're like in their 40s, and they're out on Tuesday nights playing playing like real baseball. Dude, I, and I played, I mean, I gave up on real baseball a long time ago, but I played softball, you know, in the Broadway show league and this and that, and I still, <laughs> 63 years old, boys and girls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I still, once a year, myself and, and, and a lot of my oldest buddies drag ourselves up to uh, northwestern Montana for an annual softball game, the Townies against the Playhouse, that we started in 1970. Uh, <laughs> Do you bring an athletic trainer for the going, pulled hamstrings oh, <laughs> and, and torn Achilles? I, I just, and, and, and the worst part of it is when you do, you know, tear, you know, six Something, things yeah. every year because you're old. Then, then you you know sit on a plane or, right. or get in a car for you know a day and a half going and stiffen up all the way home. <laughs> Your so legs it's a, like, like I gotta a have rock. a I gotta have at least a week after that game before I can go back to work. How but much? We have beaten the townies one more time than they have beaten us. Wow! My dad. Sounds like this should be televised. Facebook watch. Let's talk about it. How much Tiger stuff did you steal from the set of For Love of the Game? Oh, you just every day so you're much. taking stuff. Yeah, and but I didn't even have to steal it because because I got to be and this wasn't like like you know Machiavellian on my part. I just both the wardrobe guy and the prop guy were these great guys that I that I really hit it off with. So uh, so the day I wrapped on that movie, which was not the final day of shooting. Yeah. Um, I'm in my trailer and, you know, saying goodbye to all these great people and, and, uh, and, and <laughs> both the prop guy and the wardrobe guy just, just showed up like looking over their shoulder with a plain cardboard box going, Hey, JK, it's great working with you. Just get this Ooh. into your trunk as soon yeah, as you can. Yeah, sneak you know? this over. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, gloves and, uh, and the balls and uh, the whole costume, the jacket, you know, a few hats, got to have your home hat and your road cap. And, uh, yeah. And I still... I mean, uh, uh, and and Frank Perry was, you know, I was I was that was my second or third year of Oz, so I was in I was in fighting shape then, you know, yeah. I was I was pretty trim and lean and mean, and uh, um, so I, I, you know, I, I that that's one of the things that keeps me uh, that keeps me from ballooning back up again is I got to be able to fit wear that, clothes. that that Frank Perry stuff. Still yeah. not positive the final out, the the grounder on the second base side, the shortstop coming over, and then hitting the ground, getting up and throwing him out. That has to be a really slow base runner. I know it's Hollywood. <laughs> that is, that's that's just a lot of time is happening. The chopper, Costner touches it. Yeah. Shortstop comes over. Yeah. I don't know. I, I almost need the, the batter has to fall coming out of the box. No, it, it was a slow runner. 
Has to be very slow. But you know, every every team's got a you know a, a catcher and an aging right fielder or you know something. I mean, that's Hollywood. That's what Hollywood it does. Hollywood and slow mo. You don't know how fast it's, it's happening. You that's don't know true. how many frames per I don't second. Have a feel for it. Yeah. Uh, J.K. Simmons, this was fun. You're one of my favorite Simmonses. Not that I'm not related well, to. You're you're on my list of Thank favorite you. Simmonses. Thank you. Appreciate it. Definitely him. top twenty. Thank you. Appreciate it. Top twenty. I'll take it. <laughs> Good luck with the show. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks to ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Gillette. Get Gillette performance delivered to your door. No more getting mad at yourself because you just got back from the grocery store and realized you forgot to buy blades. What's worse than that? Subscribe today. Pick your favorite razor and get every fourth order free. Visit Gillette online at GilletteOnDemand.com. We have a couple more podcasts coming up this week. Don't forget about me on the Against All Odds podcast with Sal, the big Super Bowl props pod. For the first time, not on this feed, but the good news is you will be getting it on the Ringer Podcast Network, as well as Sal's videos with Lombardi on Meat Eat a Day and all the stuff on Sunday on the Ringer NFL show with Lombardi and Tate. More later in the week. <laughs>